Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 129 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Sarah Lytle, along with the rest of the crew. Our musical guest this month is Benjamin Fusen. We'll share an interview with Benjamin and listen to three of his original tunes that we recorded in our studio. We have a conversation with the good folks at the Brown County Playhouse, and we have an update from the Brown County Park Manager about the big fire. We also have essays from Sarah Lytle, Jeff Tryon, Jim Eagleman, and Dave Seastrom. We begin segment one with our Benjamin Fusen interview. We'll share our conversation with Warren Sargent and Amy Emming of the Brown County Playhouse, and we'll close with Benjamin's song, Nashville Gal Blues. Benjamin Fusen. He's a regular at the Brown County Inn open mic night, and everybody loves him there and speaks highly of him. So we hope you'll enjoy him during the show here. So welcome, Benjamin. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we just heard four songs by you, and they were all great. Uh, You wrote all those songs, correct? Those are all my originals. Do you have a method for writing? How do you go about that? So I write in bits and pieces and fragments. And it could be, I'm thinking of writing a song, and that song that I think of first never really happens. Right, right. It'll it'll yeah. happen, Deve- develops, and then it'll it'll turn into something completely different. Or that was the missing piece of a song that I wrote two years ago. <laughs> so, and I don't really like to play, or that I play just as a fill, or and then it becomes my newest song. Mm-hmm. Um, so in different ways. If I obsess over something too long, I I really won't want to play it anymore. And I'm not sure really what that... Of course, that's different than performing. You seem to enjoy performing. I so. do like performing. I actually like performing more now than I ever have. Before, I talked about performing. I wanted to perform, but then I'd get so nervous. I didn't know what I was supposed to do or how I was supposed to act or who I was supposed to be. Um, and I didn't know who the hell I was. Still, really, I don't know fully. And I would consume alcohol 
and then I would screw up <laughs> where I'd second guess myself and forget entire verses right there on stage. And, you know, it just really, the shows I played five years ago were few and far between. And the ones that were good were also few and far between. Yeah, so, Well, that's uh, it's probably been about that long, maybe not quite, since you started coming to the open mics. And then we had to shut down for the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, you know. So yeah. we're pretty gung-ho right now again. Well, uh, where are you from and how did you end up here? I am from Indiana. Okay. And I was born March 10th, 1992 in the back of an ambulance <laughs> oh. on the side of Highway 37. Wow. So that's what my mom told me. <laughs> and uh, my grandpa, when he was still alive, my grandpa Buck would call me old 37. What were some of your early memories of music that got you interested and how did you start doing it yourself? My dad played Jim Croce, Gordon Lightfoot, The Beatles, just to name a few. Um, I remember him playing John Denver a lot. And I used to think there was a little band inside of the speakers in the car. <laughs> so I always thought that was kind of funny. I would try to talk to I remember that was like one of my early memories, trying to talk to the band that was in the speaker. Uh-huh. Uh, and my mom, she had a very short career as a recording musician and a, and a performing musician in Nashville. She had a, oh, wow. a short time with Warner Brothers. Doing her own stuff? Or? Doing her own stuff. Wow. Playing the bar ring, you know, playing Tootsies and doing all of that. And so that was an exposure too yeah. to music. And I remember her singing in front of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how like fearless she was. It seemed that she was. And I, I would get embarrassed because I would always think like, well, gosh, you know, I could never do that. But, yeah. you know, here I am. Yeah. So I feel like that was a lot of the, my early influence to get into it. And then when you started playing with... Guitar, the first in, first and only instrument, and of course we heard the harmonica. Yeah, I was in a punk band called Scary James for, <laughs> it was a good two years. We mostly just performed for our friends and got trashed all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, really there wasn't much going on, but we, we, we learned a lot about writing songs together. Mm-hmm. Um, and after my son was born, I wanted to distance myself from that lifestyle. But I wanted to continue to play music. And I thought, well, I saw a documentary about Bob Dylan. Actually, it was a movie called I'm Not There. But I thought, man, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that, and it would just be me. I wouldn't have to concern myself with traveling to band practice or anything. Right. So that started about 12 years ago. Okay. You started out with the guitar and harmonica then. Yeah, I had this really, like, kid-sized Montana guitar. And I made a harmonica headstock out of, like, metal pieces (laughs) it's gone now but i mean it was like tied together with yarn and i only had a key of c oh yeah and i didn't really understand keys back then so i wrote maybe a couple of songs in the sea and then i started having to figure out all right what's next yeah 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 you know other than the open mic night what what kind of stuff are you doing now so i scored a couple of gigs through jess george here in brown county she booked me a couple of, it was a three months in a row at uh, the Nashville house. So that was back in the summer and it was very hot, but yes. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I genuinely enjoyed that. And so if I'm not getting shows at a restaurant or at a venue, I love getting out and just playing on the street. It's one of the most right. 
purest form of performing yeah is, yeah. is busking on the street yeah well, i've seen you on downtown a few times so yeah it looked like fun and my wife the other day she wanted to go to the bar with her cousins on friday night i figured it'd be better to not throw myself in the lion's den you know and <laughs> go in the bar even though i wasn't going to drink it sounded fun but uh I thought, well, I'll just take my guitar to Bloomington and busk on the street. And so I did, you know, yeah. and it was it was just a load of fun. Oh, good. You know, people coming up and asking and talking mm-hmm. and, you know, made made some money, too, and that was really cool. That's but, all a big part of it is having the conversations with, with people. kind of gets keeps you in touch with Earth, so it, to speak. It really does, and I love talking to people. Yeah. Well, how does that, and do you have any goals or things that you really – would like to accomplish i would like to sell some albums you know i got a closet full at home you can yeah sell. <laughs> i'd like to sell some some of my albums oh. you know like make make like a career out of it i think doing this someone asked me the other day you must have worked pretty hard for all that money you know because i was walking back with a jar of money home i said i didn't work at all mm-hmm. i mean it was it was a blast yeah. it was fun it was it went by like that man yeah. you know and yeah. that's what i want to do yeah i'm not really looking to go anywhere else in like my work life i'd rather just progress towards this this job of a, being a uh-huh. professional musician really yeah well there's a lot of work in the practice and like you said if you're with a group or something like that it it, it is a lot of work but there's a reason that they call it playing music yeah because it's a lot like play when you're actually doing it um well benjamin it's been great having you here uh do you have uh, contacts like facebook and yeah any, anything like that you can tell the people about yeah you can find me on facebook benjamin fusen you could also find me on youtube searching the same thing there's some sets that i played at uh rainwater studios oh wow! so yeah. big shout out to keenan rainwater and uh, rainwater studios and uh my buddy dave sisson yeah, they're all favorites of ours and been in here. Well, Benjamin, welcome. Enjoy your life, and uh, maybe we'll see you back here one of these days. I sure appreciate it. Enjoy your life, and God bless. Keep the sunny side up. Thank you. I would like to welcome Warren Sargent and Amy Emming, who are here representing the Brown County Playhouse. And uh, we're going to talk about what's happening with the Playhouse and some of the events that are coming up. Thank you so much for coming in, you two. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Right. So this is the holiday season, and I know you guys have got a lot of programs coming up. Uh, What was the most recent programs that just played at the Playhouse? Well, we just had a phenomenal program called the Jingle Bell Rock and Tribute Band, and that was uh, Bobby Helms, who originally wrote Jingle Bell Rock. His grandson is now touring in tribute of him and is a spitting image and sounds just like him, and they just put on a phenomenal show. We also had a wonderful community event where we, uh, the Community Foundation allowed us to get the movie Polar Express, give it free to the community, and showcase our new projector that we just got, and now we we are right in the middle of a Christmas carol. I know a little bit about that. Someone I'm married to is involved with that production. That's going to run the first three weekends in December. Um, and we have shows on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Tickets to all the performances are available at browncountyplayhouse.org. 
Uh, A Christmas Carol is all local actors. It's um, produced locally. It's directed by our lighting designer, the wonderful Danya Hunter, who is ridiculously talented, and we are just so blessed to work with her every day. Uh, This fine man sitting next to me here, Warren Sargent, built all of the set. I had the privilege to roll and paint and uh, (laughs) try to make these things look like London streets for Uh y'all. And uh, yes, we were very, very lucky to have a, a costume designer come on as well. So thanks for letting us borrow your wife. Well, uh, okay. Uh, (laughs) My wife is delighted to participate. That's all I can say. And I know that, you know, this is a wonderful thing where the community comes together and it's a local production, but, you know, it's Christmas. So that's all that's all to the good. So what else is on the dock? On the December 18th, we have your own uh, Chuck Wills along with Kara Barnard, who just won the national championship for Mountain Dulcimer. Yeah. Uh, They are doing the Brown County Community Christmas sing-along. And so that's going to be, uh, again, uh, free to the uh, public. They can come in. Just going to be an afternoon of... Christmas music, singing, and just having a good time of fellowship. Wow. Then in January, we're uh, kicking it off, I believe, with the King Bee and the Stingers on the 7th. That's going to be our first show of the 2023 year. Then in uh, February, uh, the 3rd and the 4th, we brought back radio plays during COVID. And they were so well-received, we continue to do them. So we'll be doing uh, the Maltese Falcon uh, on February 3rd and 4th. And then getting more into February, we've got Greg Hahn coming. Phenomenal comedian. Uh, he's been here before and just brought the house down. Uh, local favorite, Henry Lee Summer, is coming in. Uh, Chris Collins, who is one of the best John Denver tribute groups in the nation. We've also got... Uh, Escape, which is one of the uh, nation's best uh, journey groups coming in. And then the best one, though, in February is February 21st. Everybody knows that as Fat Tuesday. We will have uh, blues artists J.D. Simo and Tab Benoit both in the house at the same time. So that's going to be crazy. So that's just kicking off our 2023 season. Wow, that sounds spectacular. Um, I'm so glad to see the Playhouse thriving. And as I mentioned, um, I'm a huge fan of watching movies there. It's it is the best place to see a movie, and I know that was a really long struggle. So congratulations on continuing to develop the playhouse and add to the resources and offering this wonderful material to the community. Thank you. So do we have anything we want to talk about beyond that? Well, we have lots of really fun volunteer opportunities available. Ah. And that's another thing that I like to spend a little bit of my time on. Um, As a hospitality manager, it's my job to make sure that everybody feels comfortable and welcome and invited in our environment. And the only way that I can do that is with a lot of help. So um, we've been trying to find ways to make this a little bit more fun, and we've been um, doing Playhouse Play Dates. We did trick-or-treating most recently. Uh, Well, actually, by the time this airs, the most recent thing we will have done is participate in the um, community parade. I've got a team of volunteers that are coming out to represent the Christmas Carol in the parade because it's during one of our productions. So um, you can get volunteer opportunity information on our website, browncountyplayhouse.org, or at the Playhouse, directly talk to any of our staff members or any of our volunteers. We'd be happy to talk to you more about 
about it. Um, but we've got a lot of fun opportunities. And becoming a volunteer does have its perks. It gets you access to see our shows for free. Um, you know, bring your friend to see a movie. Come hang out with us. Uh, th- we've got a lot of fun things to do behind the scenes as well. Well, I, I, I just think the world of the Brown County Playhouse, and I know that many, many people in the community share that feeling. So thank you very much for coming in and sharing this information. And we look forward to all of these wonderful productions. It gives us, you know, it gives you some hope after a, a Christmas that there'll be something during the long, dark, cold winter, right? We are here all year. Uh, I think we're only going to go dark for about two to three weeks at this point. But other than that, we are here for the locals of Brown County the entirety of the year. And we're going to have more movies next year um, and more opportunities for community involvement. So please keep checking out our website and checking back in at browncountyplayhouse.org. Well, again, thank you both for coming in and sharing this information. Thank Thank you for having us. This is Benjamin Fusen with Nashville Gal Blues. I stepped out in the rain But all I seen was your face Now it don't seem the same I know nothing about this place Now now your mama says I can't change it ain't easy for me to accept that fate Here's one thing I think strange You stuck around all these years although I had strayed With this fire inside of me for you still burns Ain't no other little gal's heart I would like to earn Listen to the wind blowing through the trees Kind of thing you bring a grown man won't you do this favor for me, please? Stop all this arguing, must be good for see. The winter snow, it feels so cold. Yeah, I want to do this vacant place where no good was sold. Stands where my heart used to be. Funny how the wicked ways of youth can drive a gal crazy With this fire inside of me for you still burns Ain't no other little gal's heart I would like to earn Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online 
More at OurBrownCounty.com. Segment two begins with a conversation we had with the Brown County State Park Manager, Doug Baird, about the recent big fire in the park. Jim Eagleman shares his essay called Empty Spaces, and we'll close with Benjamin's song, A Song for Rockville. Excited today to have the Brown County State Park Manager with us today, Doug Baird. And I really haven't met Doug before. There's a fire going on. By the time we air, it probably won't be, and all the smoke will have gone, and the ashes will have cooled. But um, there was a fire at the State Park, and I decided to drive over there and just see if I could go up on the fire tower and see what I could see. And from that vantage point, couldn't see much. A bunch of beautiful trees. Anyway, we walked along the ridge, and I did see some smoke off in the distance. And and on the way back to the car at the manager's station, I bumped into a couple of people in the parking lot and said, gee, we'd like to have somebody to come in and talk to us at the radio station. And one of them was this man sitting here, Doug Baird. So welcome, Doug. Oh, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I know in the parking lot when I talked to you and you said, well, I'm not a fire expert. (laughs) Well, I just happen to know what's been going on out there. That's about the extent of my expertise. Yeah, but you do know a lot about the park. I should. (laughs) How long have you been a manager there? Uh, Since 94. What's that, 28 years? 28 years. Have there been other fires at the park during your time? Uh, Yeah, a few. We've not had any recently, but there was one, as I recall, 1988, I think it was, or Real dry year, we had a fire down along the road to Ogle Lake, Mm -hmm. and it probably burnt 20 acres or something like that. It was in the hot time of the summer, and it was real dry. Never did determine what caused it, but you have to assume a cigarette or something like that. Yeah. Well, at this time, from what I've been able to see, there isn't much being reported. 100 acres, they were saying, has burned. Yeah, the estimate today was 110 acres. Okay. And can you tell us about where in the park that is? It's in the southeast part of the park. It's southeast of the fire tower, east of the horseman's campground. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of area out there between the park roads and the park boundary or State Road 135 South. And it's all isolated, very, very uh, undeveloped. Mm-hmm. There's a few horse trails go through there, but other than that, it's just forest. Yeah, um, reports were that the rugged terrain, because the terrain was so rugged, they had to pull off um, some of the firefighters and just bring in the DNR guys, right? Well, that was the case Sunday evening after the fire got reported, and mm-hmm. we had several volunteer fire crews out there. Uh, it was dark, and the train is very steep, and the, the brush is thick, and it's very hard to get through there in the daytime, let alone mm-hmm. trying to do it at night while you're trying to fight a fire or, mm-hmm. or cut a fire line. So it was decided that there was very little threat from the fire to, just to leave it burn, and it was a considerable chance of getting somebody hurt by being out there at nighttime trying right. to put it out. So it just decided to wait till Monday morning, and they called in the volunteer fire departments, called them out from the woods. Then Monday morning, the DNR fire fighting crew, the division of Forestry has a, a um, wildland fire crew that they travel around the state and take care of wildfires like that that get started on public lands. Mm-hmm. They came in and 
cut a fire line around the fire just to keep it from spreading any further. Mm-hmm. And then it was left overnight. And today we had five people from state parks that have fire training. They were in just rechecking, making sure that nothing had burned over the fire line, no dead snags near the fire line that might cause the fire to spread. Okay. So it's pretty well contained Yes. at this point. There's still a lot of stuff smoldering, but the fire itself is not a threat to expand at this point, we don't think. Yeah. So they kept mentioning it was a brush fire. Mostly what we have out there is it's leaf litter and fallen limbs and trees, dead stuff laying on the ground on the forest floor. Some dead standing snags might mm-hmm. catch on fire. A few did that they had to cut down, but it's nothing like a, a forest fire you see out west or even like the one that was in uh, Gatlinburg a few years ago. Nothing near that that uh, aggressive. Okay. It's pretty well slow creeping ground fire. Okay. Well, the fire tower was pretty interesting, you know, climbing up that, and I... I um that's about a 90-foot tower, right, they say? Yes, to the peak. And it was built around the 30s. Mm-hmm. And what I found is there are 33 fire towers in the state of Indiana by 1952. But now they aren't used quite the same way as they used to be. I don't think there's any fire towers in Indiana that are used the way they were originally intended to watch for forest fires. Thanks to drones and things like that now, right? Local emergency management folks were in yesterday with a drone trying to get a better look at it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you can tell us about, especially this time of the year, it's so dry, not to burn their leaves, not to have campfires? We still allow campfires in the park in... Contained. uh, Contained fires, yes, in fire rings, we call them. Definitely want to watch your use of cigarettes or your discarding of cigarettes and... Don't go out in the middle of the woods and and build a campfire without having a cleared area around it and then make sure it's totally extinguished before you would leave. Burning leaves is probably not a good idea, especially as dry as it is this time of year, this this particular year. And it's been windy. It just doesn't take much. No, there have been several brush fires or woods fires in, in the Brown County area recently, and it's mostly all due to carelessness by someone well, I bet your job is exciting enough without having a fire to have to deal with. What are some of the other things you do? What are your responsibilities? Well, I'm in charge of the operation of the park. Uh, that can be pretty busy in months like October that we just got through recently. And in the dead of winter, it's not so hectic for the most part, but we always have things we need to get caught up on for the, getting ready for the next season. Okay, well, we really appreciate the work that you do there and coming in and talking to us and helping keep our park. It is such a beautiful, amazing park. I really love going there, and I I know our listeners do too. Well, I'm glad to hear it. It's a treasure for Brown County to have. It's a treasure for the state of Indiana. It's a wonderful place. Thank you very much. Thank you. Kay and I just returned from a few days in New York City visiting two of our three sons employed there. We enjoy new food at funky places when they're window shopping as the Christmas displays were being installed, and a wonderful rails-to-trails walkway along an elevated railway no longer in use. It's called the High Line. This popular pedestrian trail through the congested inner city was crowded. It had nice native plantings along the way, some exotics, woodland prairie plots, and demo areas for street runoff and city gardens. 
It was heartening to see so many people, young and old, enjoying this outdoor green space amid the high-rise apartment buildings above and the busy traffic lanes below. No place like home and home again, home again, jiggity-jig were childhood sayings, we muttered as we pulled into our road after a late-night flight home, away a week and a snowfall we missed, emptied the bird feeders and flattened all the leaf piles. A day after filling the feeders, we were greeted with a small flock of evening grosbeaks, both adults and juveniles. No one we mentioned this to, either by emails or texts, had observed them, so we considered ourselves lucky. I had only seen them at the Nature Center bird observation window a few times over the years, and always at the onset of a winter storm. They flew in off nearby vistas, fed briefly, and then were gone. These beautiful birds with bright yellow and gray on the males and a more subdued shade on females are gregarious and active. The thick bill, similar to cardinals, is the characteristic field mark. I enjoyed the new places we visited in New York City, and it was not disappointing. The city that never sleeps appears as busy at 3 a.m. looking out our eighth-floor window as it might at 3 p.m. Joking with their sons, if they can make it there, they can make it anywhere. Both Kurt and Eric and their brother Carl are Brown County High School graduates and went to school in the Midwest. We see them leave this small community for work after graduation, and it was something we anticipated. Off to seek fame and fortune, I said, but I was quick to add, remember your humble beginnings. While both Nashville and New York City are homes to people and places of work with services, community bases, schools, and stores, all with similar purposes, they couldn't be more diametrically opposed, occupying opposite ends of the spectrum. And from observing the many walkers on the High Line Trail and other open and green spaces in the city, it's clear we use, enjoy, and require them. And this is what Nashville and Brown County area offers, certainly plenty of green spaces, many trails, and natural areas. Empty places like these, no development and natural, have high intrinsic value. Remove us from the noise and congestion and allow an environment, some say a quiet refuge, to gather thoughts and ideas. As society becomes more technical and advanced, some land advocates and conservationists claim the quietude and serenity of undeveloped places will offer better mental health opportunities than the best clinics and hospitals. We've all spent loud and noisy times at parties, family gatherings, and music events. Then afterwards, as our heads still vibrate, it feels good to simply sit and let it all sift in. It may take a while to return to a normal background sound, maybe longer as we age than it used to. Psychologists have studied quiet patterns when brain waves are similar to sleep or meditation and found that they act to repair. Synapses that function in normal nerve systems are stimulated slower and respond slower and less intensely. These quiet times in our normal day allow a recharge so that when needed later, the response is completed effectively. Quiet times are necessary, say a noted researcher, even during normal work hours. Parks, forested areas with trails, city walkways, and green spaces serve purposes to allow people an alternative to public transportation, a place to get away from the office environment, say, during lunch break, or later maybe to meet others, to experience a different environment in better air, they can actually change a person's pattern of thinking. A clearing of the brain provides an opportunity to think in an uncluttered and unhindered manner, 
And oddly enough, production back at the workplace increases. As we populate the earth, concrete, blacktop, and developments, the need for natural places becomes even more important. Idle and left alone, unaltered and undeveloped, doesn't mean wasteland or worthless property. A land left to itself could soon possibly exhibit use by species that were once driven away from the nearby developed land. Extirpated species, those no longer found in their normal range, may actually exhibit degrees of resilience and can adapt to less appealing and sometimes marginal situations. Some species can exhibit this behavior, but a need will still exist, and it may mean survival is uncertain. You can have unaltered, quiet, and natural places like Brown County or the industrial business complex of New York City without the land. It's the basic requirement for all aquatic and terrestrial life to exist. And land, as conservationist and author Aldo Leopold states, is finite and limiting. As early as the 1940s, he saw conservation getting nowhere since it was incompatible with our concept of land. He said, quote, We abuse land because we regard it as a commodity belonging to us. When we see land as a community to which we belong, we may begin to use it with love and respect, end quote. This is part of his now well-accepted land ethic. I hope to relate more of this in future programs and about the land ethic and about Leopold. For now, thanks for listening. This is Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings and the Brown County Hour. This next song is called A Song for Rockville. And uh, wherever you are, Sebastian White, I hope you're doing well. Stop light in the middle 
the telephone rings a bunny kind of scared Yeah, when daylight comes, girl, I'll ring you again You probably won't answer and I'd understand Many a night I sit and think of the time we shared And I hold on to everything you say we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with Sarah Lytle's essay, Coming to Our Senses. Jeff Tryon shares a traumatic story, Lifeline. Dave Seastrom has a Christmas story, and we'll finish the show with Benjamin Fuson's song, Standing in the Alley. You all know the word anesthesia, a deadening of the senses. Maybe you've even been knocked out, put under, numbed, unable to come to your senses. Perhaps you've experienced this medically or recreationally. My husband used to call TV video volume, and it was one of his favorite recreations. Well, I want to talk about another word, asthesia. It's an antiquated Greek word for a perceiving, perception of the senses, the capacity for feeling sensation, A-E-S-T-H-E-S-I-A, asthesia. It's a lovely word. I want to bring it back into use. I do believe it's time to revive sensations, to come back to our senses and become more conscious, sentient beings. So this is my first piece to write about reviving and exploring our senses. And I like to start with the sense of smell. In her book, A Natural History of the Senses, Diane Ackerman says that smells detonate our memory like poignant landmines hidden under many years of experiences hit a tripwire of smell and memories explode all at once. 
My personal best experience of this is when I smell buttered toast, oats, and hot Lipton tea. I'm suddenly transported into my Grandma Sarah's kitchen. I'm sitting at the adult kitchen table, but too big for a booster seat, watching my grandma stir the pot. She stirs with her whole body, swishing side to side like the agitator of a washing machine on the gentle cycle. I'm smiling. My whole body feels the love in that moment. Smell goes straight to the brain without a filtration editing system like vision or taste. Smell is primal, protective. When we sleep, our senses of smell and hearing become more acute. So if there's danger, a threat from an intruder, gas leak, or smoke from a fire, we wake up and all our senses are heightened. When I got COVID, I had a mild case, but I still lost my sense of smell. I started researching anosmia, the inability to smell. It can be caused by allergies, a concussion, brain tumor, toxic exposure, and infection. How clever of COVID to attack our primal senses of smell and taste. I learned that if the olfactory nerves become damaged too long or too many are affected, temporary anosmia can become permanent. That was not going to happen to me. I concocted an aroma workout. About eight essential oils and spices were lined up on the counter. I'd close one nostril, take a long snow whiff, repeat with the other nostril, and say out loud, that's peppermint. I smelled nothing. I went on down the line, smelling with one nostril at a time, allowing a few natural breaths in between to clear my senses. I did this three times a day, naming and retraining to keep my misfiring neurons alive. After three days, I could smell half the aromas. Eventually, lavender, rose, and even the citrus family came back. Did you know that it takes eight molecules of a substance to trigger impulse in nerve endings? And that 40 nerve endings must be aroused before we can smell something? Our cerebral hemispheres were originally buds from olfactory stalks. Basically, small lumps of olfactory tissue atop the nerve cord that grew into a brain. Smell was our first sense, and Diane Ackerman likes to say, we think because we smelled. The word kiss means smell in Borneo, Burma, Siberia, and India. A kiss is a prolonged smelling of your beloved. In the Elizabethan age, the love apple was delivered to a lover to inhale after it had been placed in the armpit and saturated with the lover's sweat, the lover's pheromones. The Greek origin of this word is pharin to carry and hormon to excite. Members of a New Guinea tribe say farewell by putting a hand in each other's armpit, withdrawing it, and stroking it over themselves, becoming coated with each other's scent. A friendly wave will work, or a hug from my closer friends. I'll leave your armpits alone. But we can celebrate our senses and explore their nuances. Petrichor is the pleasant smell of a rain after a long dry spell. It's the smell of healthy bacteria being released from the soil and charged ions in the air. We smell always and with every breath. Cover your eyes, you stop seeing. Cover your ears, you stop hearing. Cover your nose to try and stop smelling, you will die. 
So let's recharge and enliven our senses and sensibilities. All of them, especially during this holiday season, filled with songs and sparkling lights, fleece and flannel, smells from the oven, winter is here. Step outside, breathe the fresh, crisp air. And when Jack Frost freezes your nose hair, know that microbes are dying, but you are alive. A funny thing happened on the way to church one Sunday morning in January. I ended up in a medevac helicopter speeding toward life-saving surgery in Indianapolis. As I dressed for church, I started having trouble getting my breath, and I had a tightness in my upper chest. I've seen enough public service announcements on TV to know time to go to the emergency room. Your priorities suddenly become very clear. What if these are your last few moments on God's green earth? I've known for a long time in my life that we have to always value people over things and make people and relationships our main focus in life. So as we sped down the road toward the hospital and I gasped for air, wondering whether I would make it to the emergency room or not, I told my wife, I love you. She knows that already, but I was, if I was speaking the last words that I was ever going to say on this earth, I wanted it to be that. Sue has always been a wonderful help and support to me, and throughout this whole recent medical ordeal, she has been a real rock. She got me to the ER pronto, and she was there for me at every turn. What a blessing she is to me. And, by the way, coincidentally, it was her birthday. Happy birthday, hon. Always like to surprise you. Just a few weeks earlier, as we drove past the impressive new Bloomington Hospital, I had commented, nice place, hope I never have to go there. But come the day, I was glad enough that they had moved the ER to the east side, that much closer to dear old Brown County. I was pretty sure I was having the big one, and as, as I was wheeled into the brand spanking new emergency room there in Bloomington, I told him, I think I'm having a heart attack. The doctor sent me for a CAT scan and discovered the real cause, multiple blood clots in both lungs. This is why you go to the experts and don't depend on your own powers of medical diagnosis. So, they stuck me on the lifeline chopper, and before long, I was in a surgical suite at Methodist Hospital with a couple of guys messing around my lungs by way of my heart. Again, they're the pros. Let's just take a moment to consider this incredible service. A helicopter ambulance speeding you to a life-saving procedure at 150 miles per hour. For 40 years, the emergency chopper service has transported 140,000 patients, traveling more than 250,000 miles by air, operating from six critical care bases around the state. You could tell these guys are the real pros as they quickly and efficiently load you in and out of the chopper. And with their level of training and skill, there is literally no safer place you could be during a medical emergency other than the emergency room to which they are transporting you. It's one of those things you don't fully appreciate until you need it. After they bundled me up in the chopper and I flew away, the ER nurse confided in my wife, if he hadn't come in, he wouldn't have made it. Gazing out the tiny helicopter window as we flew over Bloomington, Morgan Monroe State Forest, and then Martinsville, where I was born, I had the eerie feeling of taking one last look at the places where I had spent my life. You'd be surprised at how fast you can make that trip in one of these vehicles. A couple of minutes later, we're landing on the roof of Methodist Hospital. Before I go in for the procedure, the doctor comes out and asks, do you have an advanced directive? Translation, instructions on what to do if you don't make it. No, I said. I guess I don't spend much time thinking about dying. He said, if your heart stops during this procedure, did you want me to do CPR? Heck yeah. 
And when you're laying there on the gurney, waiting to go in there for this life or death procedure, you discover whether your faith is really of any practical use to you. I discovered that I was ready to meet my maker, but that I was not in any particular hurry to do that. If it be thy will, let this cup pass. I want to live a long life. I want to watch my grandkids grow up. But you know what Jesus said, the flesh counts for nothing. The spirit gives life. How blessed we are to have this fantastic medical system that can do so many amazing things. It is not without its flaws, and they are aggravating, but then sometimes you get the miracle, a chance for more life. Now, every time I hear a helicopter fly overhead, I think, there goes somebody who is having a major medical problem. Hope they make it. Dale Bond grew up in Brown County during the Great Depression. And as a son of the local undertaker, he spent his childhood hunting, fishing, and tending the family farm. His childhood gave him many opportunities to roam the hills and valleys of this rugged county, and he was well acquainted with the ways of nature. He fell in love with his childhood sweetheart, Jean Chitwood, and they dreamed of buying a farm, getting married, and raising a family. All of that would have to wait, because as the 30s were drawing to a close, the drums of war sounded all across Europe, and military conflicts covered the globe. Dale was like a lot of young men from those times, and he grew up tall and lean, and as a farm boy who knew lots of hard work as a child, he was unusually strong for his age. His entire generation watched the growing conflicts with a certain knowledge that soon they would have to answer the call and defend the world from the threat of fascism. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, Dale was 19, and like many of his countrymen, he answered the call and enlisted in the Army. Dale became an artillery gunner, and as the U.S. Army advanced towards Berlin, his unit was part of what would become one of the most brutal battles of World War II. They wouldn't know the name of that battle until much later. What they did know was they were part of a major German offensive. During the battle, the men lost track of the days, but they knew it was late December. They and their artillery company had been engaged in an active combat for more than two weeks, and once they were separated from their command, they were on their own. By then, they had heard the rumors that the Germans were executing war prisoners, and they all understood that they were in a fight for their lives. It was winter of 1944, and the final desperate German offensive began on the 16th of December in what would eventually be called the Battle of the Bulge. The weather was brutally cold with deep snow that never seemed to let up. Dale Bond and his fellow artillery gunners were caught in the mayhem along with thousands of other men on both sides of the conflict. The battle lines kept shifting. Dale and his men had no idea where exactly they were or where the rest of the U.S. Army was. All they knew is they were somewhere in the Ardennes regions between Belgium and Luxembourg, cut off from their supply lines, and their food was running low. Even more concerning, they were almost out of ammunition. With food rations running short and the men facing another brutally cold night, Dale and a fellow soldier volunteered to look for a safe shelter for the evening. 
Dale's hunting skills served him well, and they came upon an earthwork that looked suspicious. When they pulled the brush back, they found a sturdy wooden door with a heavy padlock blocking the entrance. Once they blew the door open, they couldn't believe what was before their eyes, and what they discovered was a German stash full of supplies. They alerted the other men, and as darkness fell, they gathered in this underground shelter to protect themselves from the cold. When they lit a kerosene lamp that they found in the shelter, their eyes were filled with the wonder of what was before them. The stash was full of blankets, cheese, sausage, canned goods, and many bottles of fine German wine. As they began to feast on this unexpected find, one of the men reminded everyone that it was Christmas Eve. The fighting had been so intense, most of the men hadn't given much thought to the holiday. And when they understood the significance of the day, they began to sing Christmas carols and sharing memories from better times at home. They laughed and sang, drank their fill of good wine, and ate until their bellies hurt. All the while, the battle raged around them, but they were safe and warm, and for the first time in many days, they had more than enough to eat. The next day, they stuffed their pockets and backpacks with whatever goods they could carry, and rejoined the conflict. The battle lasted until the end of January in 1945, and Hitler's army was soundly pushed back and scattered. By May 8th of that year, Hitler was dead, and Germany had surrendered in complete defeat. Many years later, Dale Bond joined a group of veterans when they returned to the site of the Battle of the Bulge for a reunion. The memory of that Christmas Eve night was prominent in their discussions, and all of them called it a miracle. When Dale told me this story, my heart was filled with the joy of the unexpected, and I was certain I had just heard one of the best Christmas stories of all time. Happy Holidays from the Brown County Hour crew. May you and yours have a safe and wonderful celebration. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. This next one, I really want to play it. It's, uh, it's one that I wrote whenever I was feeling really, really down. It happened a lot in the past, but it's called Standing in the Alley or Apocalypse Blues. This one's for you, Dave Sisson. A Muslim and a Christian, they broke some bread. Realizing how long it was all in their head. Yeah, excuse me, Miss Coach Baker Bucks. Cause this sense of want is driving me nuts Woo! Staying in the alley with the four-legged stands Ha! All the circus performers say dance that is dead Thirsty for blood is mouthy bread Buckling from the heat and the fear of death Oh, Lord, I feel it coming Oh, Lord, I feel it coming Oh, Lord, I feel it coming It's hard enough breathing with the weight on me I don't need no more your nicotine from a list off your device Yeah, yeah, you can do anything Just as long as you like Listen up, baby 
money be a massive for your soul can't be saved. Yes, you'll be one, one, one until you're deep in the grave. Can't deposit a dime inside of your mental bank. I'll just trust in the Lord above us how I ever made. Oh, Lord, I feel it coming. Oh, Lord, I feel it coming. Thanks for tuning in to episode 129 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe Now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Sarah Lytle, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Oh